Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. It was George Orwell who said that to see what's in front of one's nose is a constant struggle. Sometimes we're all trapped in our inability to see what's in front of our nose. However, in the realm of science, the facts should speak for themselves. And yet there have been those throughout history that have denied science, mostly because it didn't comport with their agenda. Sometimes they were blinded by the obvious, and sometimes it was antithetical to the false gods of religion. Yet it always seems that the ability to accept science, almost more than anything else, shows the character of people and nations as they either evolve or slip back into the primordial stew. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Mario Livio. Mario is an internationally known astrophysicist and best-selling author, and it is my pleasure to welcome him back to this program to talk about his newest work, Galileo, Science Deniers. Mario Livio, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. As you plunged into this, and certainly so much has been written and talked about Galileo over the years, were you surprised at all with the resonance that it had to so many of the issues that we're dealing with today? Uh, yes, I was surprised. I mean, you know, I knew something of that uh, because I knew quite a bit about Galileo already, but I was really amazed to, to what extent uh, things are similar to what we are seeing today. Uh, so yeah, that that and 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 that became also one of my main motivation for writing this book, Galileo and the Science Deniers. Talk a little bit about those things that that really came to the surface that were so similar to some of the problems and some of the issues that we're facing today. So you see, for example, let's take uh, you know some very simple examples. When he started doing his discoveries with a telescope. Uh, there were some people who not only did not accept what he saw uh, in the sense that they claimed that these were artifacts caused by the telescope itself rather than representing some reality, there were even some people who actually refused to look through the telescope. I mean, you know, they were so convinced that this is wrong that they didn't even want to look and see for themselves. And that, I must say, is extremely reminiscent of some of the attitudes one finds with things such as climate change, uh, with the initial reaction to the COVID-19 pandemic, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Do we have a clear understanding at, at, of the reasons at that time why people reacted that way? Where was that, that fear and that refusal coming from in, in Galileo's time? Yeah, so at that time, you, you know, most of the reasons had to do with religiosity. I mean, they had to do with religion. But not just religion, because it's a mistake. Very often you hear that Galileo represented a clash between science and religion, and he never saw it as such, and it wasn't like that. It was a clash between science and literal interpretations of Scripture, and that's what he was against. Uh, basically, people took what was in Scripture and took it literally. You know, if, if Joshua said that the sun should stop above Gibeon, then that means that the sun moves and not the earth. Uh, things of that nature. And it's not just this. You, you know, the uh, geocentric model of the solar system where the earth is at the center uh, was fitting very well with the general 
philosophy of the church, that's the Catholic church, you know, because humans were supposed to be the center of creation. So here comes Galileo after Copernicus, of course, and says, no, 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 actually the sun is at the center and the earth is actually just like another planet that's moving around the the sun. What was the psychological toll that this had on Galileo, this denial, this pushback? Well, you know, initially he mistakenly thought that he can convince people. Uh, he, you know, he started by giving arguments, said, listen, the Bible is not a science book. It was written for our salvation, not to teach us science. You don't even find the names of the planets in the Bible, you know, and, and so on. So uh, he, he started with a naive feeling that if he presents things reasonably and according to logic, he can convince people. Uh, as things started to evolve, he realized that he was putting himself, you know, increasingly in danger. Uh, You know, Giordano Bruno was burnt at the stake at 1600. Galileo lived during that time. So he knew that there is a real danger. And then, you know, he started being a little bit more politically correct. He sort of took advice from friends and changed some texts and, and changed some language. But still, was unable to really give up uh, his convictions, you know, until he was actually put on trial and, you know, found uh, convicted. Talk a little bit about those that that opposed him, where it didn't come from religiosity, where it came from, from other reasons. Well, not so much during his time, perhaps, um, uh, in his time, it was mostly religiosity. Uh, in our time, of course, science denial comes from, you know, political conservatism, from, uh, you know, various economical considerations, uh, and sometimes from religiosity. I mean, you know, you still see people who want to teach creationism in science classes, side by side with Darwinian evolution. So. Today we see more of a diversity in terms of the motivations. At his time, it it came mostly from religiosity. Well, also, you know, from from some stubbornness. And I say, you know, again, it's not religion per se. It was this feeling that one should take the words of Scripture absolutely literally. I mean, one theologian said that even every comma in the Bible, you know, was dictated by God. One of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea that we have separated the humanities on on the one hand and science on the other. And this whole story, Galileo's story, the issues that we're facing today— really shows the way in which these two things need to be related. Talk about that. Yes. So, so you know, I did not invent this. You know, chemist and author C.P. Snow in the, in the 1950s uh, realized that in the, in the U.K., um, suddenly uh, people from the humanities started calling themselves already from the 1930s the intellectuals uh, and excluding scientists from that definition and uh, always expressed amazement as, as to how ignorant scientists were about the humanities, while at the same time didn't realizing 
they, that they themselves, those humanistic intellectuals, were completely ignorant about the sciences. So C.P. Snow, you know, coined this phrase, the two cultures. Uh, and, and the idea was that there, there was this schism that developed between the humanities and, and, and sciences. Now, Galileo would not have understood for the life of him, you know, what this meant, because he was a Renaissance person, not just that he lived at the Renaissance time, but he was, uh, you know, an expert in poetry. He wrote essays about poetry. Uh, he gave two lectures about Dante's Inferno. Um, a few of his friends were uh, painters, famous painters, you know, Chigoli and uh, Artemisia Gentileschi. And he himself studied drawing and used his knowledge of drawing and of light and shadow in, in his publications. So to him, uh, it was clear that these two things should come together. And today, you, you know, to be a complete person in some sense, you need to really be able to inhabit both worlds. And I don't mean that everybody needs to be a scientist. Of course not. But anyone needs to know some basic things about science, you know, that there are such things as laws of nature, and to appreciate what science is doing, exactly in the same way that scientists should appreciate, you know, what literature and philosophy and, and the arts are doing. What else can we learn? What can modern-day scientists learn from the way Galileo dealt with the opposition to him that might be useful today? One thing it was that was very important was to make your work and discoveries accessible, accessible to many people. You see, Galileo was a master in that. For example, um, most scientists at the time published things in Latin, but Latin was spoken only by, you know, a very small elite of intellectuals. He insisted from a certain point on, on publishing his things in Italian so that people will be able to read it. In addition, he managed to convince the court in Florence to fund the production of many telescopes to be sent all across Europe for people to be able to see with their own eyes, you know, what he was discovering. Uh, so, and, and he, he, he did everything he could. He gave public talks. Uh, all of this just to make things more accessible to people and to understand the importance of these discoveries. And I think that this type of outreach is certainly as important today as it was in his time. Talk about the importance of understanding history along with science, because so much of, of understanding science, it seems, is the way in which experiments and knowledge is built on top of other experiments and other knowledge, and that, that, that if you miss steps along the way, that somehow it becomes easier to, to refute things, but very wrong at the same time. Yes, you see, Galileo was in that sense, and of course this is a historical fact, but it enters into science. Uh, he was really one of the founders of what we call today the scientific method, which means basically that, first of all, there, there is only one way to discover facts about nature. 
and this is experiments, observations, and then reasoning based on the data that you get from those experiments and observations, and no other way. Another thing that he introduced is that his belief that the universe is, in his words, written in the language of mathematics, which was really amazing for his time, because, you know, today we are used to the fact that the laws of physics, we express them as mathematical equations. But at his time, this was still not happening. He actually wrote the very first such laws in, in the language of mathematics. And yet he had this intuition that this is how it should be, and he introduced this into his work. So all of these things, you know, paved the way for the scientific method of we have today. And you know, that history of, of that is, is very important. What disturbs you, what worries you about the way young people are learning about science today? Um, well, quite a few things, but, um, you, you know, one thing maybe is that in many textbooks and in many lessons and certainly in media, um, scientific discoveries are often described as sort of a direct path to the truth. And it's not like that. It, it really is more of a zigzag path uh, with many, many false starts, uh, many blind alleys, and uh, one needs to understand that. You see, Galileo himself, he was not right in everything that he did. He, he was wrong, for example, in his explanation for the tides, uh, completely wrong. He was wrong in his explanation of comets, uh, but this is the nature of science. Science is always provisional. You always know that as new data become available, you may need to change either the details or the entire picture of the science. Science in this sense self-corrects. And people, including young students, need to understand that. That it's not that you know everything science says is always correct. No, it, it, it very... Many times it can be wrong, but over time, you know, sometimes very rapidly, sometimes after decades, it corrects itself. And it's almost the only discipline that does this continuous self-correction. What has been the cost to science, to invention, to mankind as a result of science deniers? How has that hurt us? Well, you know, let's start with Galileo himself. Um, uh, his book, you know, the, the dialogue on the two chief world systems, uh, was put on the index of prohibited books, and it stayed on that index until the middle of the 19th century. You know, he was in the 17th century. So um, that was, of course, a bad thing. Not only that, you know, we have a letter from René Descartes, the famous scientist and philosopher, who said that when he heard that Galileo's book was prohibited and that Galileo was put on house arrest, uh, that he thought of destroying all his papers, or at least not to show them to anybody. So Galileo's fate, in terms of you know the science deniers that were against him, um, had a chilling effect on progress in science for a while. And talk about today, what you see the cost of, of denial being. 
Well, the cost of denial today is unfortunately huge. Uh, it, it, is, it is devastating. I mean, look, denying climate change is, you know, is almost unbelievable. It's unconscionable. Uh, think about this. I mean, it's never a good idea to bet against science, but to do this when the future of life on this planet is at stake... This is unbelievable. Now, similarly, you know, look at the initial response to this COVID-19 pandemic. I'm not talking about now, but the initial response. Mm -hmm. You know, late in February, the administration was still saying, oh, there are 15 uh, cases in the U.S. and soon it's going to be down to zero. The initial response in the U.K. was, you know, to ignore it. And now the UK has surpassed in their terms of the number of fatalities all other countries in Europe, including Italy. So denying what science tells you, I mean, can be extremely costly in human lives and even in the future of the planet. Mario Livio, his book is Galileo and the Science Deniers. Mario, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you.